Fear and anxiety are spreading around the world as the novel coronavirus continues to spread. The U.S. is suspending all travel from Europe for the next 30 days. TV shows that usually film in front of a live studio audience are closing their doors to the public. Conferences and award shows have been cancelled. Sports leagues around the world are suspending play or playing in front of empty arenas. And stores across the country are still having a hard time stocking items like toilet paper, hand sanitizer, rubbing alcohol, and now sanitizing wipes. But COVID-19 isn't the biggest threat to public safety. It's all in our heads. I'm Adam Toy. And I'm Dave McIver. And this is why. On this Wednesday night, the coronavirus officially reaches pandemic proportions what it means and what it calls for. This is a call to action uh, and a call not to give up. As more countries, including Canada, make plans to act. We will make sure you have everything you need. Are Canadian hospitals equipped to cope as the health minister spells out the worst case scenario? It's safe to assume that it could be between 30% and 70% of the population. Last time on This Is Why, we got to know the virus technically known as Severe Acute Respiratory Syndrome Coronavirus 2, the novel coronavirus. This episode, we look at the psychology of pandemics. Now let's look at that word first, pandemic. The World Health Organization just announced that this coronavirus is now a worldwide pandemic. And while it's been over a decade since the WHO declared a pandemic, the term is largely a technical one. Pandemic is not a word to use lightly or carelessly. It's a word that, if misused, can cause unreasonable fear or unjustified acceptance that the fight is over. But do you know one thing that was a pandemic across the world well ahead of COVID-19? Panic. So in part two of our novel coronavirus coverage, we look at the psychology and we're going to chat with the man who wrote the book called The Psychology of Pandemics, UBC's Dr. Stephen Taylor. Welcome, Dr. Taylor. Thanks very much. In a nutshell, what is the psychology of pandemics and how are we seeing that play out today amid this COVID-19 pandemic? Well, the, the main thesis of the book is that psychology uh, plays a vital role in, in pandemics. And people typically think of pandemics as being biological events, but really they're psychological because uh, the behaviour of people influences how um, viruses are spread and how they're contained. And, of course, you've got people's emotional uh, and other reactions to pandemics. What are the various psychological pieces that play out during a pandemic? So there's a bunch of important pieces. The first off, people have to agree to engage in things like hand hygiene or cover their coughs or self-isolate in order to manage pandemics. Um, then there's also vaccination adherence. So when we do get a vaccine for COVID-19, it's going to be of no use whatsoever if people aren't going to get vaccinated. And that's been a problem in previous pandemics where many people don't bother to get the vaccine. So that's uh, an, another important aspect of the psychology of pandemics. And then, of course, there's people's reactions. Some people underreact or underrespond to the threat of infection. That is, they don't wash their hands, they don't get vaccinated, they think it's all exaggerated. So they're the people 
that um, could spread infection to other people. And then at the other end of the spectrum, there are people who are excessively worried or fearful. And they're the people who might go out and buy up face masks when they don't need to, or they're the people who engage in panic buying uh, and so forth. How does fear play out during disease outbreaks like we're seeing now? Well, it's played out uh, in terms of uh, two main ways so far. One is that the xenophobia and racism that has come out, particularly against people of Chinese ancestry, and that's primarily a fear-driven response that people are getting frightened of being infected. And it's also played out in panic buying, where people have been asked to stock up on food and toiletries and medicines and And so people have been going to the stores and some people have been over-purchasing, buying way more than they realistically need. And that has resulted in in, um, uh, shelves being emptied and images posted on the internet of empty shopping um, uh, grocery stores and overstuffed shopping carts. And that's amplified um, the fear, fear of scarcity and the sense of urgency, which is... uh, Um, exacerbated this panic buying. So that's another way in which fear has played out so far. We're at the Costco in Markham. When you walk in, your shopping cart is wiped down with a hand wipe before you go in the store. We also heard an announcement. Toilet paper, paper towel, and bottled water sold out. Is xenophobia and racism a common result of outbreaks? It's arisen in just about every outbreak. Some kind of discrimination that uh, I've looked at, um, even dating back to the bubonic plague in the Middle Ages. Mm. Um, But uh, as to whether it's lasting or not, I think we can distinguish between racist attitudes and racist behaviours. And during outbreaks, it's often the behaviours that we see more of. And after the outbreak abates, the racist behaviours diminish. So, for example, people start going back to Chinese restaurants. And this is what happened after SARS. As for the racist attitudes, they're more difficult to change and they might be lying dormant until the next outbreak. People, you know, are afraid. Like if you have a cough and you see people just choking back their coughs because they're just afraid as of what people will think of them because you are Chinese and uh, people just keep their distance from you. The viral nature of social media is exacerbating ignorance surrounding the new coronavirus, calling it the Kung Fu flu and suggesting it's a product of Chinese food. We are being singled out. We are being stigmatized because of the coronavirus. Despite people rushing to the stores to buy out things like toilet paper, hand sanitizer, rice and beans, there is something to be said for being prepared to some degree. Aren't you supposed to have a certain number of days worth of food and water in case of an emergency? You're absolutely right. Um, And it makes good sense to have uh, a supply of food and toiletries and stuff like that. And most people don't bother to do that because they're busy getting on with what they see as more pressing concerns in their lives. And that's probably one reason why we've had the panic buying. But uh, I think people need to understand that you can prepare without panicking. So I have, uh, on a personal note, when I started working on my book two years ago, I bought a box of N95 respirator masks. I had them in storage somewhere. I don't plan on using them anytime soon, but if it looks like there's a situation in which they'll be necessary, sure, I'll I'll use them. But I'm not worried or anxious about it. Similarly, I have a supply, uh, a two-week supply of foods and toilet paper and so forth, because as you say, it's, it's just good, good uh, practice to be prepared for um, an emergency. Now, it seems like every time there's an outbreak of a disease, there are myths that pop up just as quickly. How do we see these myths play into the panic and fear we see during outbreaks like the one the world is facing now? 
Well, these sorts of things always happen. They've happened for every pandemic that, that, that's been documented. That um, when people are faced with uncertainty about um, important issues, rumours arise. And you can think of rumours being like improvised news. People attempt to explain important events in their lives by by um, looking to rumours. The problem is some of them are sensational, some are conspiracy theories, some create more anxiety than they, than they uh, can resolve. So I, I think it's important for consumers of the news media and the social media is when you see uh, dramatic images, you need to remember that this might be giving you an exaggerated perception of the danger. And people need to interpret um, rumours with a grain of salt. They need to uh, be um, media literate, media savvy. They need to give most stock to um, authoritative um, sites such as the WHO or the CDC. Myth number two, wearing a mask will protect you from getting the new coronavirus. There is no evidence that a surgical mask will help protect you from getting the virus. The droplets that people cough out uh, because the coronavirus is relatively large, uh, within about, say, five to six feet, it would drop to the ground or drop to some other objects. So it, is, it doesn't flow in the air most of the time. Myth number three, it's unsafe to send and receive packages from China. If the package is traveling a long way, like from China to Canada, it's likely that the virus would have already died by the time it got there. You mentioned that pandemics have been around as long as humanity, but social media hasn't. What role does social media play here? Social media plays a really important role. Previously, um, the distribution of news was more or less a, a one-way path from news sources to consumers. Now, social media, the population has the ability to, to influence the, the way that news is distributed, such as by sharing posts and so forth. And people have... Everyone has the opportunity to generate their own quote news, if you like, through social media. So that's uh, rapidly changed the way people respond to pandemics. Suddenly we're getting 24-7 real-time uh, posts or information about um, the situation. And so this can, um, this can be uh, a good thing in that people are now prepared, but it, it's also a, um, a vehicle for... Um, spreading rumors which can unnecessarily uh, amplify people's anxieties. Coronavirus has been trending daily in Canada since February 22nd and has been top 10 every day this past week. What's really interesting is that people are searching more than tweeting about this topic at a rate of two to one. Twitter says that means Canadians are eager for reliable information and updates. So if you search for coronavirus on Twitter, we'll, we'll first send you to the Public Health Agency of Canada. There should be something called an interstitial that pops up that asks you if you're looking for information on coronavirus and then gives you a link to the Public Health Agency of Canada. We've also stopped the autocomplete on the search for the virus so that you don't get junky, spammy results. What are some of the best sources of information for people? Well, I think one of the best ones is the WHO. Uh, they have a website which they have daily updates on the situation. Um, that sort of advice. And look to advice from um, the uh, healthcare authorities in your local communities. Um, they're good things. I think one of the, the issues here is we've got a new challenging and in some ways scary virus. And in the minds of some people, it's, oh, We've got a real threat. We need, we need important, special new measures to cope with the threat. And this is why people are wearing masks. 
Um, it seems counterintuitive, but the best way of keeping yourself safe right now is plain old hand washing and covering your coughs. Mm-hmm. It seems simple. It doesn't seem like a, a big enough or a heroic enough me- measure to battle COVID-19, but that's the best thing that you can do right now. Governments have also launched public information campaigns, some catchier than others. That song is a cover of a 2017 Vietnamese pop tune reminding people to wash their hands, don't touch their face, and limit visits to crowded places, among other things. Dr. Taylor, we've talked about how people are afraid of catching the novel coronavirus or even having a loved one catch the virus. At the heart of this is fear. How does someone inoculate against fear? Some people have a really tough time tolerating uncertainty. And it's this extreme intolerance of uncertainty that leads people to worry. Sometimes it can help to to turn off the social media or news media if that's making you anxious. Or to, to stop and think about what are the likelihoods, the risks of getting infected. What is the most dangerous thing people do each day? And that's drive to work or commute to work. That's far more dangerous to Canadians at this point than COVID-19. So simply having a look at at the risks, um, evaluating them that way. And also people should continue to carry on their lives as normally as they can uh, during this outbreak and including use all the the healthy stress management things that you would normally do. If you go to the gym or if you go to an exercise class, or if you go to yoga, continue doing those sorts of things. And that can help you manage any anxieties around COVID-19. So what is the right level of concern for COVID-19? To some extent, it's an individual uh, choice. And um, I think washing your hands, uh, being aware of touching your, your face with your hands, um, having two-week supply of food, getting vaccinated when a vaccine becomes available. They're, they're all sensible things. I think people need to watch out for um, warning signs that they're becoming excessively anxious. So if friends or loved ones suggest to them, hey, you're looking really stressed out about this, or if you're, you're constantly uptight and worried or irritable or suffering from insomnia, constantly checking news sources, then that might be a sign that your your anxiety is excessive and you might need to think about ways of bringing that anxiety down. So you've mentioned that outbreaks are not new, but COVID-19 is the latest one we're facing. In recent memory, there are SARS, MERS, H1N1, and Ebola. This one will pass like the rest of them, presumably because we've learned from the previous outbreaks. So once this outbreak has passed, what level of awareness and readiness should Canadians have looking to the future? Right, and that's a really important issue. Historically, People have been uh, forgetful about pandemics. Uh, Once one is over, people forget the lessons and get on with their lives. Um, And so, for example, if you think about cruise ships, right now uh, cruise ship travel is probably way down, but in a year or two it will probably be back to normal. People will have forgotten about COVID-19 and be getting on with their lives. For other people, previous outbreaks have taught us that the effects can be long-lasting after SARS, for example, some people develop post-traumatic stress disorder as a result of of, uh, being sick with SARS. And so they recovered from the infection, but their post-traumatic stress disorder persisted. So we need to be on the lookout for cases, and they will be in a minority of of people who have longer-lasting anxiety-related problems. 
Dr. Taylor, how would you summarize your advice to people who are feeling the psychological effects of this novel coronavirus pandemic? So we should prepare, but don't panic. On Wednesday, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau announced a $1 billion response fund for provinces and territories. Funds will go to medical research of the virus and to ensure that local health authorities get the medical equipment they need. Since day one, our government has been following the situation very closely. We have a responsibility to make sure Canada is ready for all scenarios, and we take that responsibility extremely seriously. That's why today we're announcing a comprehensive package to address the impacts of COVID-19 on our country and to keep Canadians safe. Our government will be creating a billion-dollar COVID-19 response fund, which will provide money to the provinces and territories to deal with preparation and mitigation for the virus. I want all Premiers and all Canadians to know our government is here for you. We will make sure you have everything you need. The one-week waiting period to apply for employment insurance will be waived. And on Thursday, our Prime Minister announced that he and his wife will be going into self-isolation out of an abundance of caution. And before we go, we wanted to remind you of the three pieces of advice we got last week from Dr. Chris Modi of the University of Calgary's Department of Microbiology, Immunology and Infectious Diseases. Wash your hands or hand sanitizer after every public surface that you touch. Number two, don't touch your face, your nose, your eyes. The third is um, maintain what we call social distancing. Stay six feet away from uh, uh, other people in public spaces. Medical authorities are also recommending that you generally take care of yourself, eat well, get sleep, hydrate, and try to reduce your stress levels. For that, I like using a meditation app. Yeah, and if you do get symptoms of a fever and a cough, stay home. Call your local health authority for further advice and testing, which may include 14 days self-isolation. So there's very different strategies. So if you look at COVID-19 and you say, why is COVID-19 so much more difficult to deal with than influenza? The answer is, well, we're trying to do something completely different for with COVID-19 than we are with influenza. We're trying to stop COVID-19 in its tracks, whereas influenza, what we're trying to do is prevent individual cases. So the goal is much higher. Now, you may have heard the term flatten the curve. The idea behind that is to spread out the number of cases over time so that our medical resources, like hospitals, aren't completely overwhelmed by the number of cases coming in. That's part of why self-isolation and social distancing are so important. Look, it's going to take a team effort to contain the novel coronavirus in Canada. This Is Why is produced by me, Adam Toy, and Dave McIver. It's a national radio show and a podcast. You can reach us by email at thisiswhy at globalnews.ca and on Twitter at thisiswhy. If you like what you hear and want to hear more, make sure you subscribe to This Is Why so you never miss an episode. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you find your podcasts. And while you're there, give us a five-star rating. Thanks for listening. We'll see you in a week.